All right, Late Night Truth Lounge, episode number six on December 27 slash 28, 2023. John the Bond coming to you from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria. And today we're taking a look at Nick Bostrom and his simulation theory and the different people he seems to have influenced and how this has become in 20 years a popular belief system. A lot of people talk about it. But who influenced Nick Bostrom? Who is funding the people who are putting these ideas out there? And what are they really trying to achieve? We're going to take a look at that and so much more in tonight's live stream. We've got about 20 people watching live right now. I just sent out the email and the tweet. So I'm sure more people will roll in as the night goes on. We've got with us Nathan Oakley. Mike Lawrence says hello, as does Rob Files, Thirst for Truth, Linda Curtis. They're all in the house. Guys, what do you think about simulation theory? I'm going to play some clips tonight from different... Um, speakers, people speaking about this topic. Then we'll go through some of the research that I've done, that I've put together, that leads me to suspect that there's a lot more below the surface with all of this. So I'll be reading out your live stream comments, replying to them, your questions as well, and I'll be playing those clips. I'll be reading some web pages, and it should be a lot of fun, I hope, for this here, Late Night Truth Lounge, episode number six. It's good to be back. The feedback from last episode last week was very good. I'm happy about it. Didn't really do enough to promote that one. I was meant to make a YouTube video to promote the Podbean, the podcast, the MP3 upload. But I didn't get around to it. But it's still got good uh, download and stream numbers. And so people are out there, people listening. And hopefully they're enjoying the show here at JohnTheBond.com. Let's do some housekeeping, shall we? While we wait for the crowds to roll in. JohnTheBond.com, there is a voicemail service there. There's a voicemail option which uh, you can access. You can leave a voicemail if you would like. Up to five minutes. Costs you nothing. I spend about $20 per month on this service in the hope that some people will come along and say, hey, I want to leave a comment for JLB. I want to ask him some questions. I want to say something that he might play on a future piece of content. And believe it or not, somebody did. So why don't we listen to that one right now? Let's open this one with, uh, let's see, Windows Media Player. Take a listen to this. John, this is Donald J. Trump. I just wanted to let you know your content here on JohnLeBond.com is just absolutely tremendous. Really, I gotta say, my wife Melania and I have been consuming hours and hours of it. We just love it. We can't get enough of it, frankly. Well, thank you, Donald J. Trump, for the voicemail. I think I'll play that one every week from now on. It's one of my favorites of all time, so thank you to... Donald J. Trump or whoever put that little message together for me. I do appreciate it. Of course, anybody can leave their voicemail message here at JohnTheBond.com. It's right on the front page. You cannot miss it. And it's very easy to leave a recording. Now, there has been a lot of content published at JohnTheBond.com December so far in this month. A very productive month. I've got a four-hour... This is a three-part, four-hour member piece. It's a video. All my videos are structured as podcasts, but I record them as videos, so... You don't have to sit there and watch for four hours. You don't have to sit and watch for one hour if you don't want to, but it's available in three parts, one hour, then two hours, then one hour. And it covers a whole range of things to do with this idea that there are these ancient structures around the world. Are they as old as people say that they are? And more importantly, why do people listen to these stories and believe these stories without asking any questions? And how important is this to the alternative information 
sphere, the people who do podcasts and they make videos talking about what they consider to be the truth. But it's main, it's not mainstream, it's alternative, you see. But how much are these storytellers, people telling stories about how old things are and these ancient truths and wisdoms and God knows what, how important is that? And why is it so important? These storytellers, I think, and this is what the case that I present in this piece, Gobekli Pepe, I believe that people need stories. They yearn for them. They, they need them on a fundamental level. And that is why there are all these people telling all of these stories, be they mainstream, establishment, alternative, conspiracy, whatever angle they believe they're coming from. Ultimately, they're telling these stories about where people come from. And that's what people want. People want to know where do we come from? And the relevance to this live stream, this episode of the Late Night Truth Lounge is the simulation theory might also provide some people with those answers if they're seeking them. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the simulation theory has become so popular. Maybe it's just more storytelling. We'll get into more information about that later on in this presentation, so stay tuned for that. That is Gobekli Pepe, where I talk about the uh, ruins in Turkey, Gobekli Tepe and more. Of course, I had a chat with Polish Luke. I spoke about that one last week. We played a clip from that. We covered a whole bunch of topics, myself and Luke. That one is available publicly. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I strongly recommend that you check it out. The member Discord call from about, uh, what's that, two weeks ago now, where we spoke about including the, uh, we spoke about a lot of things, including the, the history hoax, but a whole bunch of stuff. We had two new people join us for the call. That was a lot of fun. Last week's Late Night, late night Truth Lounge. Jesus, it's late here, isn't it? Late Night Truth Lounge. There we go. Last week's Late Night Truth Lounge. Yeah, yeah, boy. We spoke about the simulation theory, but not, as, not in anywhere near as much detail as I plan to talk about it tonight. I had a conversation with Les Luther, the man, the myth, the legend, the one person who I know of who goes to these so-called war zones and documents what is actually happening there. And of course, the first hour, which is where we talk about the, the war HOAX idea, that hour is available publicly at bombversations.com. Go and check it out. In the second part of the call, which is closer to two hours, we went all over the shop and spoke about a ton of things. But the important part to do with what is actually happening in these so-called war zones. That's available publicly at bombersessions.com. Go and check it out if you haven't already. And the feedback for that one has been sensational. I do appreciate all the people who leave their feedback on these kinds of things. And the feedback for that one was terrific. My conversation with Les Luther. We had our member Discord call Christmas special just a few days ago. And I'm going to play a clip from that one for you guys later on in this presentation. We had some trivia to see who, who was actually paying attention in 2023. All these events that we talk about and that we deconstruct and analyze and some people even auto-hoax. Okay, but how much do we even remember? We had a trivia about 2023 and it was a lot of fun. So I'll play a clip of that for you later in the show. So that is what's been new here at JohnTheBond.com. So far in December... I'm very happy with the productivity here. Now, let's play a clip from this. We had some trivia that I'll play for you. I want to see how good your trivia knowledge is here, the audience of the Late Night Truth Lounge. We're going to test your trivia knowledge. But before we do, let's go back to the live stream and uh, see what people are saying. Matty33 says he loves Donald. Linda Curtis says that she, she thinks all the ancient sites were built just prior to commercial flight for tourism. And Franny Dimitri says hello to everybody in the live stream chat, hello to you as well. So I wanted to play for you a clip from 
our most recent member discord call. So let's get into that right now. I've fast forwarded to when the trivia begins. So here's the idea, folks, especially for those of you in the live stream chat. See if you can get the correct answers to the trivia before the panel does. Can you outsmart? Can do you can you win in trivia against the panel at the JLB member discord calls? So there's five of them in the panel. In fact, at one point, there's six of them. Can you beat the six of them? Is your brain smarter than a JLB member discord caller? We're about to find out. It is December 23, 2023. So I'm playing the clip from the member discord call that we had on the weekend, and that is available at johnthebond.com right now. We're going to play a clip from that. We're at the end of a big year for the world, for this website, and for a lot of people as individuals. And the trivia will be based on this year, 2023. So it is now officially time for a round of JLB Trivia. And so the first thing we do is we test the buzzers. So let's go around the panel. I need each of you to test your buzzer for me. Let's begin with Become the Hoax. And from now on, I'm going to call you BTH. BTH, test that buzzer. Okay, we've got a special rule. Your buzzer cannot be silenced. That's uh, one of the rules that we have here at JohnTheBond.com. Your buzzer cannot be silenced. It just, it kind of defeats the purpose of having a buzzer, to tell you the truth. So, become the hoax. Give us that buzzer. John, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear. You just came through. Oh, sorry about that. I guess my, my Bluetooth has had died on me. Anyways, I was going ding, 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 and nothing was happening. That's all right. That'll do. Let's go to Edwin Johnson, somewhere in Scotland. Test that buzzer. That is very well done. Let's go to Jaw in Brisbane. Test that buzzer. Okay, you can't have both have the same buzzer, guys. It really does defeat the whole purpose. You're going to have to give us something. Okay, no, I'm using the crickets for when people are on silent. So that one is also out. There we go. We're getting there. Let's go to native New York, the newbie on the call. Test that buzzer. Ping. There we go. It's not that difficult. TNG from Birmingham. Test that buzzer. Buzz. Perfect. And Warrior Monk from... He's currently in England. Test that buzzer. Okay, that will do. So... I've got quite a few questions on this uh, little quiz. It took me quite some time to put together. And the way it works is you can buzz in at any time, but if you get the question wrong, you will have to sit out the question. And if you do it a couple of times, you might be uh, temporarily suspended from buzzing in for the next question. So don't buzz in until you're confident that you've got the answer, but you can buzz in at any time. Question number one. With what event is the name Stockton Rush associated? Ding, ding, ding. So that was from BTH. It's the submarine dude. Uh, I forget the name of the company. It's from the submarine. To get the point, though, you need to tell us the name of that submarine. No, I'm not getting the point. Look that up. Jaw from Ocean Gate. Ocean Gate is the name of the company. Do you, okay, beginning with oh, sorry, T, sorry, yeah. do you want to... Beginning with T, do you want to take a guess at... Edwin Johnson from Scotland. Titanic. Okay, you're very close, but there's two letters too many in that answer. Titanic. Oh, well, you had the chance, but you said Titanic. Yeah, I was going to go Titan. There we go. You got it. All right, so Warrior Monkey is on the board with one. We got there in the end, guys. It took about five brains working together, but we finally got it. So Warrior Monk, tell us, when this event happened, this submersible was crushed under the sea... What was your first impression when you heard the news? 
I was a bit gobsmacked because the day before, or a couple of days before, I've been talking to Human Vibration, and she was saying, I'm going to put together a presentation on the Titanic. And then literally, like, the next day or the day after, we were dissecting that one in real time. Well, some people, as you're probably aware, Warrior Monk, thought that that event was a hoax and nobody died, nobody got hurt. Others thought it was a real event, but it was just a massive distraction. Why is everybody around the world hearing about this news? Okay, it's, if it's real, it's sad. People died, very tragic event. But why are we all hearing about it and talking about it for days, if not weeks? So some say hoax, some say distraction. What say you? 100% a hoax, uh, part of a metascript. I, I think the significance of Titanic uh, ties into a lot of uh, uh, other big events. Interesting. A hoax. I used to uh, auto-hoax all of these events, and to an extent I still do like the auto-hoax framework, but I've come around to this idea that maybe sometimes people really do dumb shit, and, you know, I don't know. It's hard to know. We might talk about that later in the call. Okay, question number two. Who is the independent researcher who appeared on Bombversations early this year and whose work first clued JLB on to birth trauma. Us. So we got TNG from Birmingham. It's Miss Marcello. Mm-hmm. We need the full name. What's her first name? Jeanette. Okay, it's Janice Barcelo, but Janice. TNG, because I like you, we're going to give you the point anyway. Thank All you. Right, so here we go. TNG is on the board. So tell us, Janice Barcelo, when did you first hear about her? And these days, what do you think of the work that she's putting out? I, um... I think it's very dark, awesomely dark. I first um, heard about her from yourself, um, and that's when you brought the topic up way, way back. I think that was 2019, I believe, when you first brought that up on the website. Obviously, the, the ultrasound hoax. But, um, yeah, she's she's very dark, and she's very she's very good at researching that topic, and and I think her work in that area in the um, the medical industry is absolutely amazing. She's brilliant. However, on the other side of the coin, I think her um, other work, where she goes into anything but the medical hoax, is um, pretty rubbish. To be honest, it's all based on. Uh, yeah, act realm garbage. So, shots fired. Yeah, goodness yeah. gracious me. So, can you give us an example of the stuff that she does that is not medical, industrial complex related that you think is uh, rubbish? Rubbish to use your words. Well, she was going on about the flipping anarchy and all that kind of junk, and you know that comes from um, Samaria, which is a hoax, the same as the rest of history. So, uh, it, it's. Uh, yeah, it, it, they all do the same thing, don't they, in the app realm? They all parrot these crappy old stories that have been circulating for years, you know, of, you know, things like Nibiru and aliens from fucking outer space and all sorts of crap. So, uh, yeah, she parrots way too much of that. Well, I can tell you this, TNG. We can come back and talk about her later on in the call, but I can tell you this. I bought a copy of her book. And I found the chapter on ultrasounds because that's the topic that I was most interested in. And I checked all of her references and they all check out. Every single one of them checks out. So at least her work on the ultrasounds is backed by the evidence, including scientific studies. So why is it that there's even scientific studies that talk about the potential harms of these so-called ultrasounds? And almost nobody knows about it. Their own studies support this idea that this stuff is dangerous and you want to be very careful with it. And almost nobody knows about it. So... I hear your point. I see your point. Maybe some of her other stuff you think is uh, not up to scratch, but I can tell you 
the ultrasound stuff based on the double checking that I did. It all checks out. So let's get on to question number three then. In February of this year, there was an event in Ohio. For one point, what happened? So we got Warrior Monk was the first in, and I didn't catch who was second. Warrior Monk, what happened in Ohio in February of this year? The train derailment in Palestine. Okay, so you, so I had a, a second question, like a, a second bonus point question, and you got the answer to that one right as well. The second question was, in what city or town did this happen in or near? And of course it was Palestine, so Warrior Monk. We're told that this train derailed in February, some place called Palestine in Ohio, and then what happened a few months later towards the end of the year? What was the big news event of 2023 toward the end of the year? Exactly, the uh, hoax uh, invasion uh, uh, on uh, 10-7. Mm, what are the odds of that? Uh, a lot of us were predicting it at the time. A lot of people were saying that this is, you know, so clearly pointing, you know, in that direction. And, of course, it was more of that, like, so obviously in-your-face predictive programming, like, not even subtle with the, I think it was White Noise, where they even had some of the extras that were in that movie being involved in the disaster, you know, evacuation after the hoax, uh, plane, uh, not plane, train derailment. It was just, it was too in your face. It was so obvious. Well, there was that movie that was released. I forget the name of it. Does anyone on the panel, uh, you know what, here's a bonus point, and not for Warrior Monk, because he's got two Okay, what was it called? Sorry. White Noise. White Noise. All right, well, you're not getting a bonus point for that one. Yeah, so this movie came out uh, not long before the so-called event, and it featured, this is the story, Warrior Monk, it featured extras who were in the film who were also victims of the real disaster. Is that the story? That is mainstream story, yeah, it's laughable. We also have the story tonight of an East Palestine man who was in a recent movie that was eerily similar to the train derailment that happened. First News reporter Abigail Cloutier spoke with him about the uncanny similarities. When Ben Ratner signed up to be an extra on White Noise, a movie that was about a train accident that caused a chemical leak, he never thought it would become his reality. Ratner is an extra in a traffic jam scene sitting in a line of cars trying to evacuate. The movie follows a family after a train hits a tanker truck, creating a chemical cloud. White Noise came out in 2022 and was shot around Ohio. Ratner is an extra in a shoot in Salem. My dad and I went, and they had us basically in cars evacuating. The plot of the movie is not lost on the East Palestine community. Because there's only so much negative you can focus on. People are like, oh, how about this uh, It's kind of uncanny here, this movie? Ratner tells me he tried watching White Noise again soon after the derailment. Probably like 15 minutes in, I, I turned it off. It was not something that... Um, I was ready to watch yet. The night of the fire, Ratner and his family were watching his kids' basketball game. They weren't sure what was wrong at first. They live in what was the one-mile evacuation zone, and it became clear they needed to get out. Loaded up the kids and the dog and a little bit of clothes we had from mother-in-law's house and went and stayed in Salem. He waited for a few days after the evacuation order to bring his wife, kids, and dog back. He says he worries about the effects of the disaster on East Palestine. His family does not want to move, but they worry about health concerns and property value. You see your home as an investment for the future, and if the rail, railroad took that investment from us, there needs to be that consideration. In East Palestine, Abiel Cloutier, WKBN 27 First News. And you believe the event itself was a hoax and nobody died, nobody got hurt? Absolutely. 
I think my crazy truth uncle Dave J would be very happy to hear that. He thinks nobody died, nobody got hurt, no matter what the story is. I don't think he believes anybody ever does die. It's very strange stuff. Now let's move on to question number four. So before we get to question number four, if you're just joining us late, this is of course Late Night Truth Lounge episode number six. And later on, I want to talk about Nick Bostrom, a very important character, and the influence that he's had, possibly even on you, believe it or not. But what influenced him? I've been doing some research, folks, and I have discovered some things that I want to share with you during this Late Night Truth Lounge, episode number six. But for the time being, I'm just playing some clips. I'm playing a clip from the trivia from the most recent member Discord call at johnlebond.com. We had a member call on the weekend just gone, on December 24, in fact, and I've already edited it and published it. And in the first hour, at one point, we had our little JLB trivia that we like to do. And so I'm asking you, can you beat the panel? Can you beat the johnabond.com member Discord call panel? Can you buzz in? Obviously, you're not there for the trivia, but in your own mind, can you come up with the answer before the panel of the johnabond.com member call does? Can you beat us at trivia? That's the question. So we've had three questions so far. How did you go with those ones? And let's move on to question number four. Which country reportedly landed a remote control car on the moon this year? Native New Yorker, the debutante. I'm going to go with India. And you've got the point. So that takes you to one point. We've got TNG on one and Warrior Monk on three points because he got two for the price of one. Native New Yorker, can you tell us when you first heard the news of India launching a remote control car on the moon, what was your response? I laughed out loud, as the kids say, and I auto-hoaxed it. When did you begin auto-hoaxing stuff? When did this term auto-hoax become part of your vernacular? Uh, probably sometime after joining uh, the website, the member website. And that was, refresh my memory, when was that? Uh, August, uh, in the year of our coronas. So prior to that, I was, yeah, I was auto-hoaxing things, but uh, it wasn't the term I was using in my own internal vernacular. And do you consider yourself an auto-hoaxer these days? I'd say so. Um, if there is a new story that uh, comes out and it does have a ring of truth to it, then, you know, I'll observe that. But uh, generally speaking, I'd say that uh, that's my default position, that uh, these things are hoaxes. Well, later on for your official welcome to website, I'm going to ask you, are you familiar with IPS and do you listen to him regularly? What do you think of the Infinite Plane Society? But we need to move on. And you get first chance at the follow-up question for this one. So there was this remote control car that India landed on the moon. Supposedly, they were the fourth country to do so. Native New Yorker gets the first crack at this question. If you can't get it, we go to the panel. Can you name, in order, the three countries who supposedly got a remote control car on the moon before India? I'm going to say United States, Russia, and China. You got the three countries correct, but apparently it was the Russians who got in there before America, landing these uh, remote control devices on the moon. I'll double-check that one, and we'll come back and we'll uh, readjust the points if we have to later on. But I think the story is it went Russia, America, China, and India. But we'll come back and double-check. So let's move on to the next question then. In March of this year, version 4 of a famous technology was released. For one point, can you name that technology, not just the abbreviation? I think that was Jaw got in there first, as he should, being a programmer. Jaw, what is the name of that technology? <laughs> you mean, like, not the abbreviation? I don't want the abbreviation. I don't want the initials. I want the actual... What do those letters stand for? Uh, this is embarrassing, but I have no idea. I've never actually... <laughs> never paid attention to that part. 
Okay, so we'll go to the panel. We don't just want the letters. We want the full name of this technology. They're up to version number four, which was released earlier this year. What is that name? Time's up. Dante is somewhere in Mexico right now, and uh, he's chuckling to himself because I'm sure he got that one. The answer, of course, was generative pre-trained transformer. That's what GPT stands for. Now, Joe, you're the expert here. Generative pre-trained transformer. What can you tell us about this technology? Have you tried to use it yourself? What do you think about it? Um, I've used it myself. It's um, it's fascinating, um, but at least what we see as far as like um, ChatGPT three and four, like I can see them going somewhere with this and it getting good, but it's it's just I don't think it's that good yet. I think there's a lot of hype over it for no reason. And, yeah, it can do some things really well, basic things, and that's, I guess, what impresses people. But, yeah, I don't think it's um, all it's cracked out to be yet. Um, I do think the technology will get there, but it's just it's just time. I think I think there's going to be a lot of hardware, um, hardware advances that will actually enable us to do it because, like, they're actually working on, on anal- like analog computers because our brains work more in an analog way. So... While they, we have had analog computers in the past, I, I mean like a more like a, a, just a different um, approach to analog computing, which is which is quite um, that's at the forefront at the moment, and I think that'll allow some really insane computing stuff with uh, generative stuff. I've got this theory that there are people in this corner of the internet already who are publishing articles and even books that they didn't write; they're using the computers to write, whether it's Chat GPT or whatever. I've got a theory that a lot of stuff that people are reading right now, they think it's coming to them from some truth teller, some independent researcher. Actually, it's basically coming from the computer. Maybe we'll talk about that later on in the call. But first, let's move on to question number six. Bear in mind, we've got Warrior Monk on three, TNG on one, and Native New Yorker on 1.5, we'll say. We'll come back and double-check that one. So that's half of the trivia. If you want the other half, just go to johnthebond.com and go and check out this post. Let's have a look. It is called... Remember this called Call... Season 3, episode 35. Can you believe that? Now, not all of the episodes have trivia. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so we've probably done trivia at johnthebond.com, I would say, 20 or 30 times now. So like I said, not every episode, but quite a few of them. So if you want the rest of that one, just go to johnthebond.com and go and check that post out. How many people have we got with us at the moment? We've got about 50 people watching live. Very nice. How did you guys go with those questions, by the way? Were you able to beat the panel? Did you know which country supposedly landed a remote control uh, car a rover or something on the moon and if you did know that did you know which three countries supposedly did it before uh india did you know that or could you remember the train derailment could you remember that one in palestine or near palestine what are the odds of that what else did we ask in those first few questions oh yeah what's the name of that technology they're up to number four chat gpt what does the gpt stand for Generative pre-trained transformer. You think about the amount of stuff that we've heard about this chat GPT. How come so many of us don't even know what the GPT stands for? Like you don't need to know, it doesn't. How's it going to help you to even know that? That's the whole point. We just have all this information coming at us and very rarely do we peer beneath the surface and try and learn what even the abbreviation stands for. That's chat GPT. It's just this thing that just has all these answers and stuff. Yeah, it's taken the world by storm. 
who needs to know what the GPT stands for? It's just a, it's just a name. Who cares? So Franny Dimitri says that they got the moon and train questions. Guys, keep your comments and questions coming through. We've got a lot to talk about today. So that was the trivia from the most recent member Discord call. Now it's time to move into the real stuff. The Nick Bostrom well, simulation theory. I think a lot of people are out there and they think they know what the simulation theory is. I've come to realize most people haven't even read this guy's paper. So we've got this on our screen right now. Are you living in a simulation by Nick Bostrom? It's not a very detailed paper. There's maybe 20 pages to it. And it's available publicly. It was first published in 2003, so 20 years ago. It's literally 12 or 13 pages. So it's really not that much. I've got a funny feeling most people who talk about simulation theory have never even read this piece by Bostrom. Which you don't need, you don't need to read this stuff to have opinions or even to have good opinions necessarily. The point I'm making is I think a lot of people are out there and they're just talking about stuff they've heard. And they, they heard this and they watched a video and then they talk about it and they think they understand what the hell they're talking about. They don't need, who needs to read anymore? Who needs to find these PDFs and read them? Who needs to engage with this stuff? You don't need to. You can just have opinions and say them or listen to people who just have opinions and say them based on no actual work, no reading, no nothing. Why, you know, why would you bother? If you can just have opinions and parrot opinions without doing a skerrick of actual work, why bother doing the work? I get it. I totally get it now. It, it all makes sense to me now. It all makes a lot more sense. Now, you might be thinking, why does Bostrom matter? Why does Bostrom matter? Because the simulation hypothesis that you might have heard about from Joe Rogan or from Elon Musk or from one of these other big influencers, and they do have a lot of influence, these people, that idea seems to stem back to this guy's work, Bostrom, 20 years ago. So other people had been around before then, other philosophers and science fiction writers and futurists and all these people. They'd spoken about the possibility of being in simulation, whatever. What this guy did that was breakthrough was he wrote a paper with what he considers to be a logical argument for why you might believe there's a good chance we live in a simulation. Not definite proof, but just thinking through things logically. And that got a lot of traction uh, in his you know, world of philosophy. And then it, it got traction outside of there into general academia and then eventually into the mainstream. And now into the collective consciousness, if you want to put it that. A lot of it goes back to this guy, Bostrom which is why his paper is important, which is why we're going to take a look at that later on in this presentation for the Late Night Truth Lounge, episode number six, here with your main man, John LeBond, coming to you from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah, boy. This is what we're going to do here. So whether you're watching the live stream, you're watching a replay of the video, or you're listening to the podcast that I released the next day with the dead air and stuff edited out for your listening pleasure to improve the production of the whole thing, regardless of how you're hearing these words that I'm saying right now, that's what we're doing today. We're looking at what did this guy actually say? What did he actually write? And how is it relevant? That's a very good question. JLB, okay, okay, so, so you read some guy's paper, okay, and you looked into his influences, and you're going to tell us later in this presentation, okay, but end of the day, JLB, why does any of this matter? That's a good question. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe none of this matters. Maybe this is all just a complete waste of time. And all the people with all their opinions, usually based on nothing, 
maybe they're just wasting their time too. And maybe if you listen to them, they're wasting your time. Or maybe you want the time to be wasted. Or maybe I'm wasting your time. Maybe I'm wasting my time. It's possible. How much time do we get here in this world? 60, 70, 80 years? It's not a lot of time, is it? It goes by fast. And then it's all over. Because that's how this world works. You get so much time, and then your time is over. Time's up. That's it. That's just how the world works. Whether we live on a giant spinning ball that is billions of years old, and we evolved from simpler creatures over millions of years, or we're in some kind of dreamlike state, and uh, we are kind of like lucid dreaming through what we think is when we're awake, but really, this is some kind of dream of some sort. Some people believe that. All this is actually a simulation, and everything began 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 22 years ago on September 11. Maybe 11 years ago in 2012. How many strong memories do you have from the past? I mean strong memories. Do you think about the past much, Frank? I've been trying to remember things clearly. But everything just seems to unravel. It's like I've just been dreaming this life. And one day I'll wake up and I'll be someone else, someone totally different. Maybe. It's possible, guys. I don't know. I don't know why we're here. I don't know what this place is meant to be. But I do have some theories about what this place is. And more and more evidence seems to be mounting up to support what I think is going on here. What do you guys think is going on here? Let's check out in the live stream chat. Hoopy says, yeah, yeah, boy. Nathan Oakley says, so now a logical argument, in inverted commas, is a hypothesis. This is also known as a scientific prediction. I believe Nathan Oakley fancies himself as something of a logician, something of a philosopher himself. And he has lots of these, what he calls logical fallacies. And when people come onto his show, he just accuses them of committing fallacies, especially whenever they point out empirical evidence in this reality that goes against his belief system. It's like, well, that's just a fallacy. That's just a, that's just a preceding the antecedent fallacy. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? The flights exist. You and your people used to say the flights didn't exist. Now we know they do exist. It doesn't support your belief system. That's it. Game over. Move on. That's the sensible thing to do. Unless you're very emotionally, psychologically invested in your belief system. And then you can just dismiss whatever evidence you want. That's what most people do. And guess what? They lead relatively happy, content, meaningful lives to them. So what's wrong with just dismissing all the evidence that goes against your silly flat earth belief system and accusing everybody of committing fallacies when the truth is you don't even understand the basics of what the hell you're saying? Where did you learn the fallacies, Nathan? Where'd you learn them? Where'd you study them? What book did you learn them from? Tell me the book. Tell me the book you learn about fallacies from and I will go and read it. What book was it? Or did you just hear stuff from other people and you just parroted it? Tell me the book, because then we can check the book. Then I can find, I can find the book myself. And I can find out who wrote this book. And I can read their ideas and the concepts for myself. I might find them worthwhile. I might find some good and some bad. But I can engage with it. But when people just parrot ideas, oh, that's a fallacy, that's a fallacy. Who told you that? Where are you getting this stuff? Where are you people getting this stuff? Goodness gracious me. Okay, Laurie Gale says, Hello, John. Hope you are well. Well, I, I'm doing all right. Can't complain here in beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria. 
Slowburn1 says that he's been enjoying Lex Luthor's work since the interview. Did you sign up to his Patreon, Slowburn? It's only a few dollars. Sign up. I say it's a good idea. If you care about people going to the so-called war zones and documenting it, if you think that's a good idea, it might be worth supporting the guy who does that. I do. I support him. It's, what is it, like $10 a month? Something like that? Thereabouts. It's not really much. And if he just had a couple hundred people around the world who were his patrons, he could do this regularly, couldn't he? Instead of having to fork out his own money, he's a normal job. He spends his money to fly to these places, stay in hostels wherever he stays. He's the one doing it. Why should we not support him? I think those of us who care about this topic, the war HOX topic, we should support him. So I do. I know some of you guys do. And hopefully that conversation, at the very least, will get more people engaging with Les Luther's work. Because he's doing very good work, in my opinion. So maybe a couple more comments and then we'll move on. Nathan Oakley says, The Trivium. Cool, man. Where'd you read about the Trivium? Where'd you learn about it? I'm not trying to like be... Um, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm, this is anybody from now on who says to me that something's a fallacy. I'm going to be like, okay, what do you mean that's a fallacy? Where'd you learn about that fallacy? What framework of logical thinking does this fit into or come from? Is it something that you apply all the time or just in this particular case? And so on and so forth. I find this stuff very interesting. Okay, let's move on then. So I told you about this simulation theory from Nick Bostrom. Let's listen to him explain it in his own words. This is a two minute 40 clip. Now, in case I didn't make this clear enough, this guy has influenced a lot of people, most likely including you. Now you're thinking, what? He didn't influence me. I never know the guy. Yeah, but his ideas influenced other people. And those people put those ideas out there to a much wider audience. And so if you watched a video or you listen to somebody at the lunch break at work, somebody has said the words to your simulation theory or this kind of thing. Where did that come from? I'm suggesting to you that even though this guy didn't invent the idea that we live in a simulation, it was his work that was a breakthrough in philosophy and academia, made it into the mainstream. So I'm putting to you the idea that this guy has influenced you, whether you realize it or not, simply by the fact that you've got people around you saying certain words or certain ideas like simulation theory. I'm putting to a lot of it comes to, to us from this guy. And what I'm going to show you later in this presentation is where I think he got his ideas from. And then you'll see how this is all relevant to the bigger picture, the much bigger picture, up to and including the so-called shape of the earth. Believe it or not, folks, I've got the evidence, I've got the documents, and you'll see that here for the Late Night Truth Lounge, episode number six, with your main man, John LeBond, coming to you from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Of course, I run johnlebond.com, and there's lots of content there. I recommend you go to free content. There's a ton of free content there. And just go and check it out. There are articles, podcasts, and videos waiting for you right now. No sign-up necessary. Go and see if the kind of stuff that I cover is the kind of stuff that you find interesting. And if it is, there's a ton of it waiting for you at johnlebond.com. So let's get back on with this then. This is Nick Bostrom. This is a three-minute clip. This was published 10 years ago. It has 30,000 views. Let's see what Nick has to say. Well, there is this article that I published back in 2003. And I'm sorry about the audio quality. I'll boost it for the podcast version tomorrow. But for you listening live, this is as loud as it gets. Presenting the simulation argument. This is an argument that tries to show that at least one of three propositions is true. Although it doesn't tell us which of these three. Okay, so he says that in 2003, he published a paper saying that one of three propositions must be true. So he presents this idea that given what we know about the world, 
there are three potential explanations for what is going on here. He doesn't claim to know which of the three is the best. In fact, at the end of his paper, he suggests it's worth putting some probability towards all three and not necessarily just believing in one of the three, being open to all three. So he's not saying that he knows exactly what's going on here, but he says one of three things must be true. The three propositions in question is first, that almost all civilizations at our stage of technological development go extinct before they reach technological maturity. So that's the first possibility. Uh, a second pos- So the first possibility is that civilizations or people who come along, they build these devices, they build up their technology. At some point, you get to a stage like now where some dude in Bulgaria can speak and within moments, basically in real time, you hear my voice on the other side of the world. And then you can leave a comment and I can read your comment. This interactivity, it's, it's really quite amazing. It's incredible. And we just take it for granted. So we've reached this level of technology development. He's saying that from this point, a civilization reaches maturity. In other words, the ability to simulate worlds, which we'll get into later, or it doesn't do that. He's saying civilizations either get to the point where they can do that kind of thing, or they go extinct beforehand. Possibility is that there is a very strong convergence among all technologically mature civilizations in that they all lose interest in creating ancestor simulations, as I call them. These would be very detailed computer simulations of people like their historical forebears, detailed enough that the simulated people in the simulations would be conscious. So the second possibility is that they just lose interest in doing this. He doesn't explain that very well. He should have explained that part at the beginning. So what he's saying, one of the premises here is that uh, civilizations come along, they build this technology, and then they can reach technological maturity. That is, they get to a stage where they have the processing power and the programming ability and the, the rendering ability and the visual graphics ability, whatever, to create simulations that people can't even tell in a simulation, okay? That's what he's calling technological maturity. So he's saying the first, the first possibility is civilizations go extinct before they get there. The second possibility is that they do get there, but by the time they get there, they don't want to create fake realities. That's the second proposition. And the third possibility is that we are almost certainly living in a simulation. So there's this argument that shows that one of these three is true. So he's... He, he doesn't do as good a job explaining it in this clip as he does in his paper. But then again, his paper is 13 pages, which no one's going to read. So I guess he's better off trying his best to explain this verbally. In other words, these are my words, not his, but I think this is what he's trying to say. Because I've read his paper and I've listened to him a number of times. Is that technology, at, once you get to a certain point, you can just keep progressing and you'll eventually get good enough to simulate worlds. Now, either... The people who've come before us, other civilizations, not just in this world, but in outer space as well, I suppose. These guys all believe in that stuff. They have gotten so good with their technology, but they've decided not to create fake realities. Or they went extinct before they got to that stage. Or we're in a simulation right now because if one of those civilizations has come along and gotten to the stage where they can build the technology and they decided to do it, well, within that simulated world, there would be more simulated worlds because the people in that simulation could also get good enough to do it. 
And so chances are we're in one of those right now. Because just suppose a civilization came along, I don't know, 10,000 years ago, back with the ancient pyramids and the ancient freaking megaliths all around the world. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. They came along and they, they had technology. Because haven't you heard, guys? We, could, we couldn't build the pyramids today. It's really amazing that they were able to build that and we couldn't do it today. Uh, well, I couldn't build a pyramid today. But there's lots of people... If they can build the Burj Khalifa, I think they could build a pyramid if they wanted to. The engineers and the construction workers, if, if they put their mind to it, I think those people could build a pyramid today. I would suspect so. In fact, even just a 10-story building. If they can build a 10-story building, I think they can build a freaking pyramid. I don't think it's that difficult. But anyhow, let's just say they had all of this technology back then. And they got good enough with their information technology. But they decided not to build a a simulation or maybe they never got good enough to build a simulation but if they did get good enough to build a simulation and they built a simulation then the people within that simulation could also build a simulation and then people within that simulation or they could build multiple simulations so it becomes near infinite is basically what he's trying to suggest it's one of the three things either humans never got far enough to do it they got far enough to do it and they just didn't do it or they got far enough to do it and they did do it and we're probably in one of those simulations right now is basically what he's saying and the full argument involves some probability theory, but the basic idea can be grasped quite simply, which is that suppose it were the case that the first possibility did not obtain. So then some non-trivial fraction of civilizations at our stage eventually reach technological maturity. Then suppose the second possibility also does not obtain. So some non-negligible fraction of those mature civilizations are still interested in using the resources to running ancestor simulations. You can then show that because each mature civilization that devoted some resources to this purpose could run astronomical numbers of ancestor simulations. So you get the idea there. If humans got good enough, or if creatures similar to humans got good enough to create a simulated world that was believable for the subjects within it, if they could do that, and then they did it, and they created a simulated world with all the supercomputing technology they needed. They were able to do it to the point where the subjects within the simulation didn't know they were in one. And those people in that simulation, they built up their own world. And one day their technology got good enough to build a simulation. And on and on and on and on it goes. In other words, once you get to one simulation, then unless there are other factors involved that haven't been uh, factored into for this hypothetical which is a valid um, criticism of this idea. We'll get to that later. But if they create a simulation where the people are free to do what they want, then some of those people will create a simulation eventually. And then from that point, there's just no stopping it. And so there'd be millions of simulations simultaneously. And then what are the chances that we're in the original? What are the chances that we're in the organic? But even then, what would that mean? Because what the, the, the original people who created the original technology in the original simulation. Let's just say they're in a simulation right now. Okay, great. But going back to those first people, what the hell created them? There's still no ultimate answer. And he doesn't pretend. In his paper, Bostrom doesn't pretend to even try to answer that either. Like, and I'm saying that like, to his credit. He's not saying, hey, guys, I wrote this 13-page paper published in the Journal for Philosophy Quarterly, and, and I've got it all figured out. He's not saying that. He's just going through if simulation is possible. If it's possible, then... Why would we not already be in one? 
you can show that if the first two possibilities do not obtain, then there will be many, many more simulated people like us than there will be non-simulated people like us. In other words, almost all people with our kinds of experiences would be living inside simulations rather than outside them, if the first two possibilities are false. And conditional on that, we should therefore think we are probably one of the typical simulated people rather than one of the exceptional non-simulated people. So the structure of the argument then is that if you reject the first two hypotheses, then the third one follows, which then means you can coherently reject all three. That That's the structure of the simulation argument. Hmm, that's fair enough. Okay, so I hope you guys are following me. Let's check the live stream chat to see if this is making any sense to any of you. Let's go and take a look here. Got a bunch of people in the chat, some of them leaving way more comments than others. Guys, like I don't want to have to put a, a two-minute timer on the comments, but if you're just going to flood the comments with just your comments and drown out everybody else, then that's what I'll have to do. By the way, we've got 60 people watching live from around the world. Hope you're enjoying this Late Night Truth Lounge episode and number six. Mike G, in fact, let's zoom in for those of you watching at home. Mike G says, grateful to be outside in the rain right now in this chair on the porch, drinking, smoking, enjoying, not a bot. Or am I? He questions. Well, how would you know? How would you know if you were a bot? How would you know if the other people around you are a bot? For a lot of people, the answer is, well, I know that in my mind I can think about things and I can come up with my own ideas and I talk to myself and I think about, well, I did this. Next time I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something different. Or I did this and I got this. Um, it led to this outcome. Next time I want that outcome, I'll do that again. And we're constantly learning. We like to think. We're learning from what we got right, what we got wrong. New information comes, so we change our opinions. And we think to ourselves, well, if I'm doing that, that's, I don't think a computer can do that. I think I'm real. And it's like, okay, cool. How about the people around you? What makes you think that they're real? Are they thinking for themselves? What evidence have you seen that they can change? If you present them new evidence, have you seen them think about it and be like, hey, you know what? That doesn't fit in with my current framework. I'm going to have to think about that and either find a way to address this objection or change my framework. How often do people do that? In my experience, it's not very often. That's, I don't think that's how most humans operate. I don't think that's what they do. And that's why so many of them are still believing and promoting stuff, what, eight years later? Like from the, from the, just to use one example, from the original explosion of Flat Earth to today, it's been eight years. And some of these people are still pushing the same nonsense. They're still ignoring the evidence that goes against them. Why? Because humans generally do not base their opinions on evidence. They do the opposite. They just reject the evidence that goes against their current opinion. And if that's the case, why couldn't a robot do that? Why couldn't, like, whether you believe in AI or not, you don't really need AI for a human to just parrot stuff that's being told. <laughs> Most of the humans around you just parrot stuff they've been told. A robot could do that quite easily. So how do you know that that person's thinking? And maybe you don't. Maybe you start to wonder, hold on. Even if I'm real, let's just say for the sake of argument that I am, because I might not be, but let's just say that I am, why am I projecting onto all the people around me that they're real as well? And in fact, Bostrom addresses this in his paper towards the end. Let me scroll down here. Some of the juicy stuff is at the end of the whole thing. Like, see this? These um, formulas, they might look complicated. They're not really. This is not... Like this stuff... Let me, let me zoom, in, zoom in there, right? Ooh. F-SIM equals F-P, F-1, N-1. 
Open bracket FP F1 N1 plus one. Ooh, that looks complicated, but it's it's not. His basic idea is actually fairly straightforward to follow if you just go and read the paper. Anyway, let's get down to the uh, the end part. There's a part I wanted to share with you. Okay, so he says on page 12, let's zoom in here. So he talks about ancestor simulations. In other words, somebody created the simulation, they're our ancestors. The people who created this simulation or the one that created their simulation, you get the idea. We are the descendants of the original simulators. So he says, one may also consider the possibility of more selective simulations that include only a small group of humans or a single individual. The rest of humanity would then be zombies or shadow people. Humans simulated only at a level sufficient for the fully simulated people not to notice anything suspicious. So in other words, Bostrom, and this is a 2003 paper, this is 20 years ago, he suggests the possibility that you might have a simulation, the ancestors might have created a simulation, where there are some real people here, but the rest are all bots. And so, so long as those bots... Um, are sufficient enough that the real people don't notice anything, then you've got yourself a working simulation for whatever reason. Maybe you want to test to see how the real people... You might put you might put a thousand real people here in this world, for argument's sake, and then just see, do any of them ever cross paths with one another? Do they ever befriend one another? Do they ever go searching for each other? Are they able to tell when they're talking to another real person? Do the real people ever figure out that most of the people around them are not real? Who knows what the ancestors were trying to establish? But if this were the case, if there were some real people surrounded by shadow people, to use Bostrom's words, how would you know if they're shadow people? Maybe there's some once-in-a-lifetime event where the TV tells everybody that there's an invisible body-possessing demon on the loose and all the shadow people believe it and get mad at you that you don't believe it. And then you ask them simple questions and they get emotional. They attack you. They try to censor you. You might start to think, hmm, this person, whatever's happening in their mind, is it really the same as what's happening in my mind? You might start to wonder about these things. Do you think you're one of the real people, folks? Do you think you're surrounded by shadow people? Let me know in the live stream chat. Let's go and find out what the live stream chat is saying. Let's see. Numbi Num says, I want to know how this guy defines simulation. That's interesting, Numbi Num. You want to know how he defines simulation? What you could do is go and find the paper that he wrote. It's called, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? by Nick Bostrom. Published in Philosophical Quarterly 2003. And it's available publicly. You don't have to try and find some bootleg edition. This is available like on the internet. First link, I think, is this PDF. It's not hard to find. And you can find out not just how he defines simulation, because obviously definitions are useful and important, but the concept he's trying to get at, and then what he presents as a probabilistic argument. It's all there in like 12 or 13 pages. Everything you need to know. You can Google it right now as we speak. As you listen to my words right now, you can just Google this. Bring it up on your screen right now. But there is 12 or 13 pages of reading. That's the only... That's the only problem, I would think. If you want to try and understand what Bosham was saying, you might have to read what he wrote. And that's a lot of effort to read stuff. Like 12 pages. 
I mean, come on, man. We're all busy. We're all very busy people. We're all spending three, four, five hours a day on our smartphones. We're all very busy. How the hell are you going to sit there and read a, a 12-page thing? That's a lot of work. I don't know if it's worth it, personally. For most people. Mm-hmm. All right, what else have we got here? Rob Files says, Sim theory sounds like a modern version of the eugenics program if held in the wrong hands. Elliot Chase says, check out David Icke's holographic, holographic moon matrix. Numbinam earlier on, I'm just scrolling back through the comments, says, simulation refers to a simulation of a particular thing. So the question would then be, what is this a simulation of? To just say it's a simulation in general doesn't really make sense. No, you're correct. To just call it a simulation without any explanation won't make much sense. To put forward an idea with a 12-page uh, piece, a relatively brief written article just going through the, the logical propositions that are being put forward. Maybe it does make more sense. You just have to read the paper. You know what I'm trying to say. Nathan Oakley is still talking about all of his fallacies in the live stream chat. I think he's very proud of himself, Nathan, that he, he knows he can recite 10 or 20 different fallacies to accuse people of whenever it is expedient to do so. All right, let's play one more clip. Now, this is seven minutes. I'm just going to play the first two minutes of this one. This is from Vsauce from six years ago. It has four million views. Well, maybe we're in a simulation right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You look at our computing power today, and you say, I have the power to program a world inside of a computer. Well, imagine in the future where you have even more power than that, and you can create characters that have, for example, free will. And I program in the laws that govern that world. Now, you're a character in that world, and you think you have free will, and you say, I want to invent a computer. So you do. Hey, I want to create a world in my computer. So now you lay out all these universes and throw a dart. Which of these universes are you most likely to hit? The original one that started it? Or the countless simulations, the daughter simulations that uh, unfolded thereafter? Are you in a simulation? Vsauce, I'm Jake and we are living in a simulation. Or at least that's what the simulation hypothesis proposes. That if a civilization, a post-human civilization, were to become significantly technologically advanced, then we would most likely be simulated. There are two worlds, two realities. The primary world, which is where the simulation is being run, and the secondary world. The simulated universe we occupy, which to us, is the only one. And when creating this world, there are three steps to successfully making the user believe it to be real. Immersion, absorption, and saturation. Think about video games like Age of Empires, Civilization, or The Sims. They're about recreating or mimicking reality, reliving past events, or creating new ones. And in 20 years, we went from games looking like this to this. As visuals advance, as the experiences become more immersive and digital characters start reacting seemingly on their own, our understanding of what is real and what isn't starts to blur. Now, characters in a video game are bound by a set of rules, a set of defining laws. A sim can't walk through a wall even though it isn't actually. It's just lines of code that define what is or is not solid, but it's still called a wall. Now think of our own world. This is a collection of atoms that together form an object that we call a wall. 
it's been atomically programmed to form a specific shape. We are left with something that looks like, that feels like a wall. We don't see the microscopic pieces that build it, just like we don't see the code in a game. We just expect it to act a certain way because of how our world is designed. We trust that this is made of something physical, not just a programmed artificial boundary. When someone comes to your house, how do they get there? Do you see them leave? Do you see them on their drive? They leave their home, time passes, and there they are. It's world gestalt, a structure or configuration of details which together implies the existence of a world and causes the audience to fill in the missing pieces of that world based on details given. If I walk off frame left, you'd imagine I'd come back around. But if I come back from somewhere unexpected, your perception of reality has been minutely fractured. It's that world gestalt. The assumption of how things should be that allows a simulated reality to function. Not everything needs to be rendered, needs to exist simultaneously for every user in the simulation. Maybe the reason the universe is expanding and growing is that it hasn't finished loading yet. Think of VR. If you are looking in front of you, what is behind you isn't necessarily rendered. It hasn't become real. It isn't until you turn your head that it comes into existence. And what was just in front of you is now gone. So the question becomes, how do you know anything exists when you're not looking at it? It's the technological version of solipsism. The idea that only your own mind is certain to exist. Everything inside of this frame, the person animating it, the office they're in, the entire world around them, including you, might not exist outside of my own mind. So let's say we are in a simulation. Why would someone or something do it to this scale in the first place? One of the reasons to run a massive simulation like this is proposed by philosophy professor Nick Bostrom in his paper, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? There you have it. So I ended up playing four minutes, the Bostrom reference was a bit later than I expected there. Four minutes in, and they say, okay, are you living in a computer simulation by Nick Bostrom? There it is. This is the paper that a lot of this goes back to. So that video that we just played a clip from is from six, it was uploaded six years ago on a channel with four million subscribers. That video has four million views. So I'm suggesting to you a lot of the people that you've heard speak about simulation theory, they got it from Bostrom whether that was via somebody else or via multiple people. Eventually, this idea has filtered in to the mainstream and perhaps into the collective consciousness. And where's it all come from? It goes back to Bostrom. So what I'm going to show you is, okay, but where was Bostrom getting his ideas? We'll get to that in just a moment. But if you are just joining us late, this is Late Night Truth Lounge number six on December 27 slash 28, 2023. And I did send out an email about this one and a tweet so hopefully those of you who wanted to be here for this episode live could do so. But if you're listening on delay, that's what I do as well. I just take the video version, I download it, I rip it to MP3, I get rid of the dead air at the beginning and the end, and any other tech issues that happened during the show, like last week, there was five minutes of dead air, I get rid of that, then I upload it as an MP3. And I publish it completely for free. And hopefully people enjoy it. A lot of people tell me they do. They say that they enjoy the shows. And I'm like, well, that's good. That's what I do them for. I hope you enjoy them. Hopefully you'll learn something as well, but... I'm not really sure people are learning anything anymore, I think. In fact, I'm not sure people were ever learning anything to begin with. They all think they are. We all think we are. But then, what do we have to show for all of this stuff that we've supposedly learnt? And I take a look around this corner of the internet, and I notice that some people are falling for obvious mind viruses. And I won't talk about them today. I spoke about them with Liz and with Polish Luke 
And that's all available at johnlebond.com as well. I've got all the content there published. In fact, I'll just go back to this again. I wrote this piece yesterday, going over the six different pieces of content that I've published or been involved in, in so far in December. Go Beckley Pepe talking about the history hoax and why these stories are so popular. My chat with Polish Luke, we spoke about a ton of things, including simulation theory. Remember this called Call from two weeks ago, where we spoke about a whole bunch of things, including history and how much people think they know about it. Last week's live stream, I said simulation theory debunked, but we're going into much more detail about that today. The chat with Liz Luther, that uh, was December 20, so what's that? About a week ago. And the feedback for that one has been sensational. And then the White Christmas call that we had a couple of days ago with the trivia, which I played a clip of the trivia earlier today in this live stream. So there's lots waiting for you at johnlebon.com. Go and check it out. Today we're talking about Nick Bostrom. So one more clip. This is Elon Musk chatting with Joe Rogan. This one was uploaded relatively recently. This is Elon Musk chatting with Joe Rogan. This could be some simulation. It could. Do you entertain that? Now, I believe that this interview was from Joe Rogan episode on September 11, 2019. I believe it was episode number 1350. I could be mistaken. I've got my information here ready to go. Yes. Oh, sorry, no. 1350 was the Nick Bostrom episode. Uh, excuse me. On September 11, 2019, Nick Bostrom turned up on Joe Rogan. That's a different thing. So the clip that we're watching right now of Elon Musk, I'm not sure when, one, when this one's from, actually. I'll try and work that out. Well, the argument for the simulation, I think, is quite strong because if you assume any improvement at all over time, any improvement, 1%, 0.1%, just extend the time frame. Okay, this is from five years ago, by the way. I just double-checked this. So this episode with Musk on Rogan's show is from about five years ago. Make it a 1,000 years, a million years. The universe is 13.8 billion years old. I think... Musk really does believe that, by the way. I know a lot of you guys think that these people are all actors reading from scripts and they don't believe any of what they're saying. And some of you also believe that these people don't even exist. I know some of you are like, oh, Elon Musk isn't a real person, whatever. I know some of you guys have some really out-there theories and I think you've smoked way too much weed. That's just my personal opinion. My personal opinion about this guy is he does exist and he believes the crap that he's saying. He believes the universe is 13 billion years old. What would a civilization, if you counted... If you're very generous, civilization is maybe seven or 8,000 years old, if you count it from the first writing. This is nothing. This is nothing. Um, so if you assume any rate of improvement at all, then games will be indistinguishable from reality. Elon Musk is big into his games as well. He's a gamer, he says. Or civilization will end. One of those two things will occur. And that's basically what Bostrom was saying back in 2003. So you get the idea here. Either technology gets good enough to create simulated realities, or the people go extinct before they get good enough to do it. Therefore, we are most likely in a simulation. So obviously that's just a short clip. He doesn't... That doesn't give us a chance to see Elon Musk expanding on it. But his expansion on the idea is, again, modeled on the Nick Bostrom idea. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to suggest to you that whether you've heard it from Musk or from Rogan or from someone who heard it from them and parroted it to you, or you heard it from some YouTuber who pretends like they're presenting you some novel idea or whatever, there's a very good chance it goes back to Bostrom 2003, is what I'm suggesting to you. Now, what evidence do I have that I'm surrounded by bots? 
If I did believe that I was surrounded by bots, what evidence do I have? Well, I've got a lot of evidence from real life and from online, but it's hard to show you the real life evidence when I'm sitting at my computer and you're listening on your smartphone or whatever. What I can do is show you from online, from when I interact with people, for example, on Reddit. Now you can come back and say, oh, Reddit's not represented. Oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Maybe some of these people are real though. Maybe some of these people are not literal bots, these are actual people. Maybe. So you can go along, as I did yesterday, and ask people, what do you think about Christmas? Do you think that it is satanic? Do you think it's some kind of a cult ritual? Do you think we're really celebrating the birth of a baby Jesus 2,000 years ago? Like, what do you think? What's your honest opinion? And then a lot of people didn't get my question because they're like, why would you even doubt that Jesus existed? Why would you even doubt that? And I'm like, well, I doubt it because it's an incredible story. And I don't know how that story survived 2,000 years to get to me. So I went looking for the evidence. The books that supposedly tell us what happened 2,000 years ago. What's their evidence? If the book is 10 years old, clearly it wasn't written when the event happened. So what is it getting its information from? And then I'll go and find that book. And then that book will say that it got its information from somewhere else. So I'll go and find that book. And I'll just keep following this process to see how far back. Let's just see how far back it goes. Like, what, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And when I did that, I realized that what I thought was documented history wasn't anywhere near as documented as I had thought. But this process, it involved a lot of reading. I had to do a lot of reading, take a lot of notes, cross-reference stuff. Hours and hours and hours of research. So I appreciate that most people will never do that because they're too busy. And so when I say these things, it doesn't make sense to people. They're like, oh, so you read some books and the books didn't say what they said they said, but there's got to be some other books. And I'm like, no, I checked the other books too. Here's the problem. I, all the books I check, the same thing happens. How many books have you checked? No, well, none, because I trust, you know, they can't all be in on it, child. What do you mean in on it? What if they believe the stories they tell them? What if the so-called history major believes all the crap that he, he's been indoctrinated with it? That's the whole point. So they're not in on it. They're not lying. They believe their own stories. And who's double-checking? Oh, well, there's a peer-reviewed person... Tell me about this peer review process. Please, I'm all ears. I'm here to listen. I'm guessing the people who want to talk about the peer review process have been to university. They've studied in the academy. They know what they're talking about. Explain this peer review process to me. How many of your peers' papers did you review? How many of your papers were reviewed by peers when you were there in the academy? Now, most people can't answer those questions. They don't even know the official story of how the peer review process works. But the people who've been in academia for long enough should know the answers to those questions. And therefore, they should know that the idea that the peer review process discovers the problems with people's papers and their stories, they should know full well that doesn't work that way. That's why there's a so-called replication crisis. And even if that replication crisis didn't exist you still have the problem of it's not all the peers reviewing all of the papers. It is one or two quote-unquote peers performing a quote-unquote review of the papers. And they're not double-checking all the claims for themselves. They're just reviewing it to see, does it follow a certain method? Is it a topic that hasn't been covered? Just basic stuff to see if it's good enough for publication. The peer review process isn't to determine the truth or otherwise of something. It's to determine, is this worth publishing in a journal. And those journals are profit-run businesses. So it's basically just someone wrote, wrote a paper in some field 
you get a couple of quote-unquote peers just to make sure that it's not obvious and overt crap. Although sometimes even that still gets through. But you want to filter out the, the stuff that's obviously shit and then it can get published. But the idea isn't because it's gotten through one or two peers reviewing it that it's somehow valid or good information or that it's been repeated by anybody or that its references are all being checked by anybody. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But most people don't understand any of what I just said because most people are fucking stoned all day and haven't read a book in 10 years and never set foot in the academy. So they've got no idea what the hell I'm talking about. And you know what? I'm, I'm happy for these people. You know, good, good luck to them. So anyway, so these people come along and they're like, oh, JLB, we know Jesus existed. And I'm like, how do you know that? What books have you read? Oh, a thousand. You should see some of the responses to this crap, guys. Let's zoom in here. Let's zoom in here. So uh, this guy says, Saturnalia was based on early Greek holiday called Cronia, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you mean in Roman mythology or do you mean this is what happened in real life? And then he says, Romans actually celebrated these holidays in real life. You've got to take a basic world history course, my guy. And then I said, how do you know this, that Romans actually celebrated? What is the evidence that convinced you? And then the response is, why is it anyone else's job to provide you with information that you yourself can easily search and see citations for? Well, I've actually done that searching. That's how I came to doubt all of these stories. But if someone wants to come to me and tell me they know what happened 2,000 years ago, yeah, now I am asking them, okay, what the evidence convinced you? So I'm not saying it's their job to present the evidence. In most cases, they don't have any evidence. So of course, it's not their job to present it. But if they're going to tell me that they know what happened 2,000 years ago, I'm going to say, how do you know? What was the evidence? And it turns out that the vast majority of people around us, they can't pass this basic inspection of their belief system. In fact, even most people in the so-called truth scene, same problem. They don't really have evidence for what they're saying. They're just parroting what they've heard other people say to them. And it made them feel good or it sounded good. Oh, that sounds smart. They just start parroting it. That's it. That's the depth of the, of the, uh, of the research, of the analysis. That's as far as it goes. Oh, well, there's, there's lots of people. Eh? There's lots of people. With it. We've got thousands of historians. One of these people even said to me, oh, thousands of historians and PhDs. And I'm like, okay, out of those thousands, how many of them did you read their thesis? None. So you could tell me there's a million historians who all agree that Jesus, I don't care. Have you read any of their papers for yourself? No. So is that your evidence? Your evidence is a whole bunch of books or theses you haven't even read for yourself. That's your evidence as to why you believe in Jesus or why you believe that he existed thousand years ago or any of this stuff. That's it. And of course, that's all they have. That's all most people have with almost all of their opinions about almost everything. And so you see, for a long time there, I was projecting onto people that like the process that I follow. Okay, why do I believe that? I'm going to double check that. I thought other people were doing that. It turns out they're not. Most of you listening to these words right now, you're not doing that either. And no, watching one YouTube video and then another YouTube video, <laughs> that's not... Like in your, I know in your reality that's research. That's not the kind of research I'm talking about here. You see the difference? Probably you don't see the difference. I'm probably talking to myself here. Okay, so I'm going to show you now... Okay. I'm going to show you now the people who influenced Nick Bostrom. This will be where we get to the really juicy stuff. So I've shown you there's this paper. It's about 12 pages long. Where he basically explains what we spoke about with those clips earlier on. And then it goes on and on and on like this. Now if you scroll down to the bottom... Nick Bostrom says, it's 2003, he says, I'm grateful to many people for comments, and especially to, and then he lists 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 people plus several anonymous 
referees, of course. So how many people do you think in our corner of the internet have taken the time to look into... I mean, firstly, no one's even read this freaking paper. But even if someone did, how many people do you think would ask themselves, hey, I wonder who are these people that Bostrom is thanking for their comments, their influence on his work? I'm going to look into them. Here's some JLB trivia for you. How many people, of all the truth tellers who you listen to and all the people who are awake and they get it and they seem like they're on the right track or they're on the right wavelength, whatever, you think you're listening to good stuff. How many of them do you think have read this paper? Serious question. Maybe one or two, maybe a handful, maybe. Okay. And then of those, how many people do you think have gone and double-checked the influences? Bostrom's, at, like, he's acknowledging their influence. How many people do you think have gone and checked? Now, what I was going to do originally with this live stream was go through these names one by one to show you what I discovered. We might get back to that in a moment. But first, I need to read out your live stream comments. That's what I do here for the Late Night Truth Lounge. 80 people watching live from around the world. That's a new record for this series, I think. Let's go through the live stream comments. Mike G says, thanks a million ancestors. Leo Biddle says, I prefer story-based simulacra over simulation. Evidence stacks up on that side. Belief in stories equates to reality for most people or NPCs. Nathan Oakley says, I think therefore I am. Franny Dimitri says, if DeGrasse Hall Tyson says something, you know it is misdirection. Sean Hamer says, simulation demiurge sounds like New Age Gnostic doctrine to me. Mike G says, great, I'm expected to read 12 pages now while staring at my phone and drinking. Uh, Dan McQueen says, here is the etymology from the mid-14th century. Simulacion? Simulacion? Simulacion. A French, uh, sorry, a false show, false profession from old French simulation pretense and directly from Latin simulationum, nominative simulatio, and imitating. Interesting. Matthew Nicholson says that he loves the Boogeyman Bombersation. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. You know, there are 35 episodes of the Bombersations, and the first hour is available for every single one of them at Bombersations.com to stream or to download. And with most of the guests, I try to get to the important stuff about their research or their opinions in that first hour. Usually the second hour is just more of a general chit-chat about all kinds of things. But the important stuff about what this person has to say, why they're here, what are they saying, how long have they been doing this work? This kind of stuff is in the first hour, and they're all available at bonversations.com right now. So like I've said before, and I'll say it again, I've got a ton of stuff that's out there, available publicly. Some people can't be like, oh, JLB, why do you have a paywall? And I'm like, forget the paywall, man. There's literally dozens of hours of content that I've taken time to produce and to share with you. Once you get through all of that, if you still have a problem with johnlebond.com members section, requiring a sign-up fee. We can discuss that then. But go and check out all the free content first because there's a ton of it. Okay, there's a there's an awful lot of it and there's lots of good stuff in there. Some of these podcasts take literally hours and hours to edit to make them sound good. Some of the guests are hard to get hold of. It's hard to get a date that works. So you go through all the planning. Then you do your preparation, get your notes ready. Then the day comes, you record. Then you go and edit this. Then you publish it. It's a lot of effort that goes into this and I do this and I give this stuff out to the world for free. And then some people, they like it so much, they go and join johnthebond.com to come and join us for the member calls or to see the member videos or the other stuff that I put out there. But if you're relatively new here, 
just go to bombersagents.com and check out all the free content. Or go to johnthebond.com and go to the free, the free content page and check all of that out. There's a ton of stuff there. And I don't ask anything back in return. I get a lot of hate in return for what I do. And I also get some love. Some people send me some really nice emails. It's fantastic. I get a lot back from what I do, good and bad. But I ask nothing of you. I ask nothing. I'm just some guy with some opinions and some research. And I write articles. I make podcasts. I do interviews. I make videos. I share it with the world. Some people tell me that they love the material. Some people tell me that they get good ideas from it. Make some rethink things. Some people tell me that they hate it. They wish I was dead. They wish that people like me didn't exist anymore. They don't like these questions. Too many questions for them. They think that we're evil. All this kind of stuff. So people have lots of opinions. I'm just sharing some of my stuff with the world. And I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope so. But if you don't, go and find something else. There's, there's so much material out there to keep you occupied now. There's so much stuff out there. Hmm. Let's see. Lots of people just having general chit-chat in the live stream chat. So Numbi Num says, It's hard to imagine that Elon Musk doesn't realize that there's no ISS in orbit. Why is that so hard to imagine? This is not a, I'm not being a smartass here. This is a serious question. Why is it so hard for you to imagine that some people who are successful and intelligent in some ways are still completely oblivious in other ways? Why is that so hard to imagine? I'm not even asking you to believe that. You're saying it's hard to even imagine that. So that means you must have very strong views about how things are that Elon Musk must know because he's in on it, right? He must be in on it. These people must all be in on it. Is that the idea? And because you hold that so strongly, it's now hard to imagine that there are intelligent, successful people who are also in some ways completely clueless and oblivious. It's hard to even imagine. Eccentric Views says, Hello, John. Hello to you as well. Eccentric Views. Lots of people. Lots of people. Man, we're, we're losing track of the live stream chat. How many people are here now? 77 people watching live. Yeah, yeah, boy. Lots of people. All right. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to go through with you just one of the names that I double-checked from Bostrom's paper. Nick Bostrom, Bostrom. Okay, I googled a few of them. Now, one of them was Angelica. Her name was Amara Angelica. So as you can see here, that is the first name that is thanked at the end of Bostrom's paper from 2003. It says, Acknowledgements. I am grateful to many people for comments, and especially to Amara Angelica. So if you go and find who is Amara Angelica, why it comes to the NSS.org. Let's zoom in on her biography. Can we do that? Yes, we can. And if you're wondering about the NSS, let's read what they have to say. The National Space Society. Join the greatest adventure. The National Space Society is an independent, nonpartisan, educational, grassroots, non-profit organization dedicated to the creation of a spacefaring civilization. The National Space Society, then it says join our mailing list, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So you get the idea, the National Space Society. So the first person that is thanked on Nick Nipposhram's paper is this lady. Her name is Amara Angelica. This is her biography on the National Space Society. Amara Angelica is a former member of the NSS Board of Directors. She's editor of internationally renowned techno-futurist Ray Kurzweil's website and newsletter, 
accelerating intelligence. She has a background in aerospace engineering, having held positions at Grumham Aerospace as human factors engineer and on the lunar module and in mission and operations analysis for electronic warfare and electronic intelligence systems. Amara has an extensive background as a technology and science journalist, writing for InfoWorld, Tech Week, Computer World, The Futurist, Co-Evolution Quarterly, and other publications. She also has a background in public relations and advertising, especially in writing technology science white papers. And it just goes on and on like that. So we've got somebody who apparently is a big-time believer in outer space, and who has talent and experience in public relations, i.e. propaganda, getting ideas out to more people through written or audiovisual communication technologies, getting ideas out to more and more people. That's what public relations is. That's what propaganda is, getting ideas out there. So what are the chances that Bostrom's 2003 breakthrough paper should thank the very first person, Amara Angelica? What are the chances of that? The second person... That is, acknowledged is Robert Bradbury. Now, if you look into this guy, you might find about this matryoshka brain. A matryoshka brain is a hypothetical megastructure of immense computational capacity powered by a Dyson sphere. It was proposed by Robert J. Bradbury. It is an example of a Class B stellar engine employing the entire energy output of a star to drive computer systems. The concept derives its name from nesting Russian matryoshka dolls. The concept was deployed by Bradbury in the anthology Year Million, Science at the Far Edge of Knowledge. So in other words, this Robert Bradbury, who I suspect is the same Robert Bradbury, who was thanked in Bostrom's acknowledgments at the end of his paper, 2003, Are We Living in a Simulation? This guy believes in outer space and hypothesizes or pontificates about the possibility of using a star for its energy to then power a supercomputer. So are you starting to notice some commonalities emerge here, folks? Are you starting to notice some overlap here? Why don't we try one more name? Well, this is Robert Bradbury, by the way. This is another web page with information about him. Robert Bradbury passed away in 2011, suddenly... Uh, he died at the age of 54. Wasn't the most recognizable name in scientific communities, but he had lots of impact when it comes to extraterrestrial intelligence and this kind of thing. In fact, he was involved in SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So you can kind of get the, the point that I'm making there, can't you? Now, here's another one. Another one of the people that was thanked in Bostrom's paper. Milan Serkovic. So he was the third one. So we've looked at Amara the first one, then we looked at Robert, the second one, now we're looking at Milan Serkovic. What do we have to find out about him? Milan Serkovic is a Serbian astronomer, astrophysicist, philosopher, and science book author. He has worked in the fields of astrobiology, global catastrophic risks, and the future of humanity, where he also co-authored with Nick Bostrom. A focus of his work is the Fermi Paradox, for which he has critically discussed existing and also proposed novel solutions. Now, what is the Fermi Paradox, folks? I'm sure you've heard of it. This paradox, the Fermi Paradox. What is it? 
why it's the paradox, the supposed paradox, where on the one hand, there are these probabilistic arguments for believing that there is intelligent life out there. And yet, we don't, these extraterrestrials, we don't see them with our own eyeballs. How come they haven't turned up here yet? Now, some of you might believe they already have turned up and they built ancient pyramids and all this other complete nonsense. But most of you who listen to this, I'm guessing you're dubious about outer space and therefore you're dubious about the idea of supposed uh, intelligent life out there in this place that some of us don't believe. How can there be intelligent life out there if out there doesn't exist? Okay, now what are the odds that all three of these people, and we've just looked at the first three. I could sit here and look at the rest, but I've done enough for now. That all of them are into space. They're into intelligence, extraterrestrial intelligence, or artificial intelligence. Space and intelligence. There's this overlap. And of course, the, the first lady, she's also into public relations and publishing stuff in major publications, what have you. And then what are the odds that this Bostrom character should be breakthrough and uh, his stuff get into the mainstream to the point where it's even influencing me and I think many of you as well? It was this guy and his paper that eventually led to Musk talking about it, Rogan talking about it, and this idea going mainstream. And a lot of these people seem heavily invested in the idea of outer space. Now, a lot of you, I think, are no longer invested in the idea of outer space. A lot of you have instead now become invested in what you think is the shape of the Earth. And it's disappointed that you got so sidetracked so easily by the clowns and the fools and the charlatans of Flat Earth so-called movement circa 2015-16. It's disappointing that you got so sidetracked and you were never able to extricate yourself from that particular mind virus. But at the very least, you are now dubious about, skeptical about. You are now disbelieving the idea of an outer space that's out there. But if these people pushing simulation theory are also pushing or being influenced by people who push the idea of outer space, you can see how we've got our own little quote-unquote paradox, haven't we? How can people who are believing and pushing such utter nonsense on the one hand also be the people presenting with their logical or their probabilistic arguments the idea that we might be in a simulation? How do these things go together? I happen to have a theory about that. So stay tuned for that. But first, we have to go to the live stream chat. 70 people watching live from around the world. Okay, let's read what the people have to say. Nathan Oakley says, good stuff, JLB. Thank you, Nathan Oakley. We might have to get you on board for a bomber session someday, Nathan. You and me just having a pleasant chat. In the first hour, we can talk about your flat earth debates, all 2,000 of them. You can boil it down for us and give us some of the, the highlights or the things that you've learned. I'll ask you, why do you do what you do? How'd you get into it? Do you still enjoy it? If people are not familiar with you and they go to your channel, what are they likely to, to take away from it? All these kinds of things. And then in the second hour, we can get into more of a general chat just about this uh, online world that we find ourselves in, that we've both been involved in for the best part of a decade now. Not just consuming content, but creating it, meeting different people, both behind the scenes and in the live streams and what have you, and in real life as well. I know you've met some people in real life. Of course, I have as well. So, man, this experience, there's a lot to talk about, regardless of the so-called shape of the earth. I think that could be a good conversation. I might send you an email in the next day or two. It's been a very productive December for me, I have to say. 
P.S. I would like a chat with Nathan Oakley. I think a lot of you guys would as well. Especially if it's polite, it's on point, and there's none of this, oh, you said something I don't agree with? That's a fallacy. That's a fallacy fallacy. That's a... That's a... Assuming the antecedent fallacy, and blah, blah, blah. And if, what, the, the, the planes don't matter? And blah, blah. Well, the planes don't matter. Give me a break. All right, okay. Lots of stuff in the live stream chat, but it's... It's mostly the same five people just spamming the chat. Numby Num says, I think John forgot that Elon Musk runs SpaceX. No. I know that Elon Musk is the head of SpaceX. I also know that he says, quite openly, he is not the guy who is designing these rockets. He's not the one who's building the rockets. He's employing people to do that for him. He might not be in the same compartment as the people who realize what's going on. He might be kept away from that. Or maybe he is in us. I don't know. I'm open to these possibilities. I've never met the guy. I probably never will meet Elon Musk to get to speak to him personally and try and work out how much does he know, how much is he letting on, this kind of thing. I'll never know. But I do think he actually exists. That's my best guess. That's my best guess, but I don't know for sure. So I'm not trying to convince you of that. If, if you truly believe Elon Musk is in on it, and this is all an act, a lifetime act, if you truly believe that, fair enough. I cannot disprove you, so far as I'm aware. Okay, so let's get back into the phone. Just before we do, just make sure, johnthebond.com, there is a voicemail facility there, and you can leave your voicemails up to five minutes. I pay this service, $20 a month, so that you can go along and pay nothing and just record a message. And it can be as simple as this. You go to start recording. It says enable microphone. So then you click on allow. And then it starts recording. So yeah, JLB, I just listened to your latest uh, Late Night Truth Lounge. Good work, by the way. I like these shows. And you, you put these shows on for the public. And they can just listen or watch at their own leisure. And you take the time to go and edit it. So that we can listen on delay on a podcast without the dead air and all the rest of it. You put more effort into your podcast than most people, which I appreciate. But here's the problem. The other day, you were saying that you think that nobody has read Nick Bostrom's paper and you seem to think that people need to do this reading or this research to have worthwhile opinions on these topics. And the thing is, what you don't understand is, I actually watch lots of YouTube videos and I listen to lots of podcasts of people talking. And so that that is the research. Like they're doing the research and I just get the information from them. But that is a form of research. That's my research, John. I, I listen to lots of stuff. I listen to you. I listen to all these other people. I listen to Quantum of Conscience and Fakeologist and Infinite Plane Society and Realize Radio and uh, Secret Sun uh, Blogspot and all these people, JLB. Like, I listen to lots of people. So I don't need to read because I, I listen and watch a lot of stuff and, you know, I don't really need to read. So that's my opinion. Uh, keep up the good work and I'll, I'll tune in for your next show. Cheers. Okay. And then we can play back the recording to see if we're happy with it. If we are, we can press send. And then it starts recording. So, yeah, JLB, I just listened to your latest uh, Late Night Truth Lounge. Good work, by the way. I like these shows, and you, you put these shows on for the public, and they can just listen or watch at their own leisure, and you take the time to go and edit it so that we can listen on delay on a podcast without the dead air and all the rest of it. You put more effort into your podcast than most people, which I appreciate. But here's the problem. The other day, you were saying that you think that nobody has read Nick Bostrom's paper, and you seem to think that people need to do this reading or this research to have worthwhile opinions on these topics. And the thing is, what you don't understand is, I actually watch lots of YouTube videos and I listen to lots of podcasts of people talking. And so that 
that is the research. Like they're doing the research and I just get the information from them. So you see, if you're happy with your recording, you just press send. If you're not happy with it, you press reset and start again. It's a very simple process. And in fact, we had one person who did this a couple of weeks ago and I quite happen to appreciate their message. So let's play this. Let's take a listen to this one. Hello there, John. This is Donald J. Trump. I just wanted to let you know your content here on JohnLeBond.com is just absolutely tremendous. Really, I gotta say, my wife Melania and I have been consuming hours and hours of it. We just love it. We can't get enough of it, frankly. Okay, thank you, Donald J. Trump, for the voicemail message. So, at JohnLeBond.com. You can go and leave a message, up to five minutes, and I can play it on the next Late Night Truth Lounge. Or maybe in a member video, or maybe in a YouTube video. It just depends on what you what message you leave and how I think I can best reply to it or respond to it. That's at johnlebon.com, and there's a ton of content waiting for you in the free content section. And if you like this material, make sure you're on the JLB mailing list. This way, if anything ever happens to my YouTube channel, or God forbid my podcast or video host that is separate from YouTube and the main places. If anything happens to any of the places where I publish my work, then I will be able to use the mailing list to let you know where to find content in the future. And this is particularly useful for those of you who are not yet members of JohnTheBond.com because, of course, if you're a member of the site, you'll always be kept up to date on what I'm doing and the latest content that I've published. And if anything happens to my channels, what I'm going to do instead, all this kind of stuff. So... If you're on the JLB Discord server, if you're a member of JohnTheBond.com, then the mailing list isn't as important. But for those of you who are not members of my site, for those of you who just listen to me or watch my videos, but beyond that have nothing to do with what I do, then you want to be on the mailing list because that's the best way for me to let you know in the future where the other public content will be. And of course, there are some people, they just consume the public content. They've got no interest in joining JohnTheBond.com. They don't want the member videos or the member podcasts or the member articles. They don't want to join the member calls. They don't want to join the Discord. They don't want to do with any of that. They just want to listen to my videos or my podcasts that are published publicly. And so for those people, you want to make sure you're on the mailing list. That's the best way for me to get my material to you if and when I need to do that outside of YouTube or other avenues. So at the start of the show, I played a little bit of the JLB trivia, and I hope you enjoyed that. If you join us late, you can just rewind and go and see if you can beat the JLB panel at JLB Trivia. That was for member Discord call... Season 3, episode 35, December 23, so just a few days ago. That was a... Was that three hours in the end? Three and a half hours total? But I broke it up into three one-hour files. It was three hours, thereabouts. So I broke it up into three one-hour files, and that's available to stream or download at johnthebond.com right now for the members, that particular one. But I did play some of the trivia at the start of the show. Then I spoke about Nick Bostrom. I played a few clips of people talking about the simulation theory. I asked you for your opinions. I read out some of your opinions live on the air. Then I showed you how if you check... Bostrom's original paper, which I think has been very influential, into the mainstream. Probably people you've heard speaking about simulation theory, whether they realized it or not, it, it went back to Bostrom. Whether you realize it or not. And I showed you how a lot of the people, in fact, the first three that we looked at, I've looked at the rest of them as well, but just for this presentation, is the first three we looked at. They're involved in space, space stories, telling stories. Why is that? That's my question for you. Why is that? The Fermi Paradox... Ooh, the Fermi Paradox. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started. So we've looked at a lot of things. I'm John the Bond coming to you from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria. And you want to go and check out johnthebond.com and bombersations.com. I want to say a big thanks to the people who make all this possible. The supporters of johnthebond.com, they know who they are. 
We've got a bunch of supporters at johnthebond.com. They're the ones who keep the lights on here. This can be a bit of a thankless task. You know, reading books, reading scientific papers, trying to extract the good stuff, bring it to you with the videos and podcasts and articles. This can be relatively thankless, doing this kind of thing, which I think is one of the reasons why almost nobody does it. But there are some people who do support it, and without them, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So I'm very grateful to all of them, the members of johnthebond.com. And if you are not yet a member, you might want to consider joining. Why not treat yourself? You bought presents for other people. What did you buy yourself? Have you bought yourself anything for next year? Because a one-year membership for johnlebond.com lasts for 12 months. So if you buy one right now, you'll be a member for all of 2024. And you'll get all of the member videos, the member articles, the member podcasts. You'll get to be on the Discord. you get to take part in the live calls if you want to. You don't have to. You can come and join this ragtag, ad hoc, motley crew of people from around the world who don't all agree on anything, but seem to get along even when disagreeing and seem to be searching for better information and better ideas and better belief systems, basically deprogramming as I call it. And I've done a lot of deprogramming over the last nine years and there's still more to go. I still hear stories and think to myself, hold on, I used to believe that. Why did I believe that? And I go and look into it. And so often it turns out that the evidence doesn't support the belief. So I'm still going through this deep, uh, this deep programming process. I don't think it necessarily, uh, I'm not even sure if you would know when you reach an end of the process. But in engaging in this process, I've come to realize that most people, even most awake people, they're not engaged in any real process. They're just parroting stories. They're not reading. They're not double checking. They're not researching. They're not doing any intellectual work. And they don't need to. You don't need to. You can just parrot the stuff you've heard from others. That's what most people do. That's what humans do. Humans are storytelling machines. And so on that happy note, like I said, check out johnthebond.com. Thanks for joining us for Late Night Truth Lounge episode number six. I'll publish this as a podcast tomorrow, as an MP3 tomorrow. And I have got a podbean, John the Bond podbean, where all of the public podcasts are available. And there's plenty of them there. And of course, johnthebond.com, the free content section is what you want to check out. Lots of stuff there. And I have actually published a fair bit on these questions about where are we really? What's really going on? And one or two of the pieces that are available right now for free at johnthebond.com talk about this. So if you go to the free content section and scroll down to 12 Monkeys, we talk about the nature of reality a little bit in that episode. Scroll down to the videos. The Corona Grid very much talks about the technology and what's really going on here. That's available as well, a 70-minute video slash audio presentation. And then when it comes to the research, when I talk about actual research, not just parroting shit that you've heard from other people on the internet, I mean actual research. And I seem, why is JLB, he seems so self-righteous and arrogant about the work that he's done. He hasn't watched more videos than me. No, I probably haven't watched more videos than you. What I have done is I went and checked the books, which is why I no longer believe in the stories of history, which is why when these idiots on Reddit come along, oh, why don't you just go and study a history course? I've got a better idea than studying a history course. How about you go and look for the books and their sources? Which none of these people have done. So you see there's a big difference between what I'm doing and what I think almost everybody else is doing. Which isn't to say that what I'm doing is better. You could argue that it's worse. Because it's wasting time. What's the real benefit? You can just parrot any opinion from anybody. Why do any of your own work? There's really no need. What's the real benefit I'm not asking rhetorical questions. These are quite serious questions. Why would you bother? Why would you bother? Why would anybody bother? When time is so finite, easy just to parrot 
what you hear from other people. And then most people are happy doing that. I'm not happy doing that, but I'm a bit strange, let's be honest, and I always have been, from the beginning. From the, from the first moment that I entered this corner of the internet, I was like, okay, well, let's find the evidence first. Let's, let's work our way from there. Not just what we heard from people, not just what we want to believe. Let's just start with the actual freaking evidence. And of course, when you do that, you lose a lot of people. Who needs evidence? So thank you, everybody. Let's go out, shall we, with a clip. You know I love my clips. Let's go to my sound effects pile. What have I got here? Let's find one. Maybe let's go to, ooh, one of my favorites. Let's go to the Harley guy. Humbling down. Uh, we want to bring in Mark Walsh, who's a, a freelancer for Fox. You live just a few blocks away and witnessed. Dude, I was, I was, I live on the floor. He lives on the 43rd floor of a building. He saw the entire thing from beginning to, he was watching The Roommate approximately a few minutes after the first plane had hit. He saw this plane come out of nowhere and ream into the side of the Twin Towers, exploding through the other side. And then he witnessed both towers collapse, one first and then the second, mostly due to structural failure because the fire was just too intense, is what he's going to say. So thank you all for the live stream comments. Maybe we'll do this again next week. Hope you enjoy the show. And uh, do leave your comments. If, if this is on YouTube or if there's some way for you to leave a comment or send me a message, please do. I'd love the feedback. Hope you guys all have a wonderful rest of your festive season. And enjoy your New Year's celebrations. And don't go overboard. Take care of yourselves. And I guess I'll see you all for 2024. And uh, hopefully it's a lot of fun. And it will be a lot of fun for you if you come and join us at johnthebond.com. Sign up for one year. See if you like it. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Most people do. Some people don't. Find out. Buy yourself a one-year gift. A gift that keeps on giving. Join johnthebond.com right now. Information in the info box below. And uh, come and join us. If you want to challenge what you think you know. On the other hand, if you just want to parrot what you've heard from other people, then you don't need JohnTheBond.com. Just keep listening to who you're listening to and doing what you're doing. And so long as you're happy, that's the most important thing. 43rd floor of a building, which is five blocks from the World Trade Center itself. I witnessed the entire thing from beginning to end. People talk about how it looked like a movie. I know when I came walking down here early this morning and saw both towers on fire and people on every street corner, it was, it was, it was like a movie, but you watched the planes hit the towers. I was watching with my roommate. It was approximately several minutes after the first plane had hit. I saw this plane come out of nowhere and just ream right into the side of the Twin Tower, exploding through the other side. And then I witnessed both towers collapse, one first and then the second, mostly due to structural failure because the fire was just too intense.